Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 438 featuring Vlado Karlazov. Uh, he is, of course, one of the co-founders of uh, Chaos and is uh, now uh, moved, moved from being the CTO of the company uh, as, since the new merger to the head of the Innovation Lab, which is actually an awesome thing for me because I get to work with Vlado much more directly and we're getting to build some really cool stuff. He is obviously really cool at innovation and is really going to bring the company forward in terms of a lot of interesting technology uh, with a lot of great ideas. So I'm super excited to have Vlado on. He's been on, of course, many times on the podcast. We always do a check-in with him every few years to see his thoughts on where technology is going and uh, very excited to have him on. So lots of stuff that we discuss. We uh, discuss a lot of stuff in terms of real-time and ray tracing. So we're going to come back to the Vantage conversation we had from last week with Simeon, uh, but that also brings into conversations about stuff that you guys know I'm passionate about, like virtual production. Um, and then we, of, of course, cannot avoid but talk about AI and how AI tools uh, are going to affect uh, what we do, what we build, how we do things, what we think about the, uh, those technologies, and how we sort of try to balance out a lot of the things that are going on in the world with AI technology. So uh, really something very important to do. We also have a conversation about nerfs, which I'm very excited about. Uh, I don't know if you guys know about uh, neural uh, radiance fields and uh, what they mean, but I'm very excited about nerfs and uh, to know what we can think about those. And of course, that is very much on the AI adjacent field of things, uh, but really cool to sort of think about all of those different things. So uh, it's a shorter podcast because uh, we, uh, you know, Vlado tends to be right to the point, so we don't necessarily need to go into depth into about certain things. Uh, and I also happened to record this when I was in Sofia, so uh, which is kind of fun as well. Uh, I got to be hang out with the guys and sort of build some of the new technology. I would recommend you guys watch this in video form because you will see behind us there's some interesting things that are happening that we don't really talk about on the podcast, but it is a part of the things that I am excited about uh, and I will be talking about very shortly because it's very, very cool. All right, we've got a couple of announcements uh, in terms of innovation. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff to happen that's going on there. I am getting ready for SIGGRAPH. And so uh, you can tell I'm a little bit disheveled as uh, a bunch of people are going to be arriving uh, from different offices in the next few days. So uh, I am getting ready for SIGGRAPH that's happening. That Well, when this podcast comes out, it'll be out like, you know, this is coming out when the when SIGGRAPH opens. Uh, so um, that is going to be uh, from August 6th to the 10th. A bunch of people from Chaos will be there. We don't necessarily have a booth, but we will be definitely very much present there. So if you guys want to hang out or talk with us, Definitely let us know. Uh, we'd love to see you. Uh, other things that are happening later this month is going to be at the Rainbow Conference in London, which is technically part of SIGGRAPH as well. And that is August 29th through the 31st. And uh, I will be giving a talk on the 31st on uh, announcing some stuff there. So definitely check that out. Uh, again, that is going to be August 31st, and that's at the Rainbow Conference in London. Uh, all of our events can be seen at chaos.com slash events. So definitely make sure and check those out as well. Uh, and in terms of products, we've got a couple of products and elements that are happening. I've mentioned them before, but I want to make sure you guys know about it. And that is at chaos.com that you can check all those out. Uh, Phoenix 5 Update 2 is 
out. Uh, lots of new stuff going on there. I'm not going to go through all of the different features, but I make sure to check those out. V-Ray 6 for Houdini Update 1 is out, and that's another big one. And, of course, Vantage 2, which we talked about in depth last week's episode with Simeon. Uh, definitely check that out. We do have a special offer for you guys who are uh, would like some V-Ray Cloud credits as uh, a special offer going on through August 16th. And if you'd like to uh, get that special discount, just go to chaos.com and go and claim it there. Uh, okay. Uh, if you guys want to know more about the podcast, of course, you guys know what to do. You just go to chaos.com slash Garage. And if you'd like to follow us on Facebook, that is facebook.com slash podcast. And of course, if you'd like to watch us, which I highly recommend for this episode, just to get a hint of what Vlado and I have been building uh, behind us, on the screen, uh, go to youtube.com slash cg, uh, youtube.com slash chaos group TV. Uh, we've also been getting some really great suggestions recently, recently on uh, invitations for guests or suggestions for guests. Love to hear more of those. Just make sure and email us labs at chaos.com. Uh, of course, you can always just give us feedback on the podcast itself. I'd love to hear about that. All right, but for now, Please enjoy episode number 438 with Vlado Karlazov. Welcome to another CG Garage where the chaos group talks. You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops. We're going to fire off rays in high dynamic range. We know that ambient occlusion is passe. Global illumination won't lead you astray And while image-based lighting is really swell You need to make sure everything has for now All right, Vlado, it's been, um, it's been several, several years since I've been in Sofia. Actually, I think it's been four years since I've been in Sofia, which is not normal from my twice a year that I usually did. Uh, it's really cool. We're in a new office right now. Uh, what we're actually seeing behind us is not the new office, but <laughs> we will talk about that in a second. Uh, but first, I want to talk about a couple of things. Obviously, there's been some, a lot of amazing changes over at Chaos. We are part of a much bigger company now. Uh, tell us about what you, you know, the roles that you've changed. Like, what, what are some of the new roles that you've adopted in this change and how everything changed for you? Um, it's been definitely an interesting journey. Um, what... I ended up doing is um, leading our so-called innovation lab. Um, even before those changes, um, I kind of tried to form the different teams working on different VRA integrations. So that, that happened. Um, but I kept my own team working on various uh, rendering-related research stuff. So with, uh, with the whole company um, becoming much bigger, I just decided to focus on that and uh, basically form our innovation lab, basically a, a space where we can experiment with new technologies, um, look at new research that's coming out, play with new hardware, and so on. Does this sort of remind you of some of the early days at Chaos? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's fun. Um, but you have to, like, in the early days, I was doing everything. So I was doing that, but I was also, also doing a a lot of other things like support and right. um, coding and all that stuff. Now I still do coding, which I love. Right. Um, but um, a lot of the more day-to-day uh, -day product work on V-Ray has uh, kind of moved a little bit away from me uh, so that I have time to look into new stuff. 
Yeah, I know you're, you're one of the only people I know that goes on vacation to code. Yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> now you don't have to go on vacation to code. Um, you can do it. I still do that. <laughs> still, uh, still some work to do until I get to a point where um, I can enjoy coding. But we'll get there. Yeah. Okay. So you're able to bring some of your developers into the innovation lab and sort of work with them. What was that experience like? It was a very gradual process. It, it kind of already was there in a way. Um, and then um, our investors or partners just said, well, look, if, why don't you just focus on that? Um, and I said, okay, let's, let's try that. And uh, it was a very gradual process. We just shifted our focus a little bit away from just doing rendering research for, for V-Ray specifically into a more broad. We, we still do rendering topics, but we are also looking at a bunch of other uh, things as well. Okay. Can you give us some examples of some of the things you've been doing? Um, AI is a big thing, lately, right. obviously. So we're experimenting with all sorts of stuff. As soon as um, ChatGPT became available, I basically asked everyone in my team, hey, why don't you go and, and play with this mm -hmm. and see what it can do? So that was really funny. Uh, one of our developers, Rado, managed to get it to uh, basically code a viewer for viewer image files just by describing the, the file format. And it would generate the code for reading the file and uh, displaying the image. So that was amazing. Right. Um, but uh, we also looked at um, other uh, new technologies. Um, one thing that we kind of always talked about before was virtual production. Mm -hmm. and, um, but we've only kind of discussed it. Yeah, it would be nice if we look into that. We have uh, real-time engines now. We have uh, Vantage. It, wouldn't it be great if we could use that for virtual production? And um, with the Innovation Lab forming, I said, well, let's actually do that. Right. Um, I've been passionate about that for yes, many I know, years. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a little bit difficult for me to uh, focus on that specifically yeah. uh, before, but now it's, uh, it's possible. Right. So what, what are some, because there's different definitions of virtual production. And obviously, you know, last year, uh, through your help and your support, where I was looking at doing some virtual production stuff uh, with the Kiltopia project. Uh, which is a similar evolution from what we were doing on Construct. But now we're yeah. looking, sort of looking at just doing in-camera VFX-style virtual production, right? Yeah, so one, we have these regular um, calls with our customers. They used to be physical visits before, but with COVID, everything kind of shifted online. And they, uh, they, kept, this, they kept telling us that um, Doing the, the virtual production, one of the biggest problems that they have is getting all the assets and all the environment into uh, the virtual production software. Uh, and it usually involves a lot of uh, work. It could be weeks before you can get your model from 3ds Max or Maya or whatever into uh, the software for virtual production. So we thought, well, we have Vantage and, and Vantage can work with V-Ray and it's... Uh, really easy to export stuff from, from V-Ray for any application, basically, to Vantage. So can we just power a virtual stage with Vantage itself? Um, and so we decided to figure out how we can make this happen. Yeah, which has been an exciting process. I mean, we basically have been thinking about Vantage, you know, sort of as, as a solution for any kind of real-time ray tracing, right? What are your thoughts about real-time ray tracing? Because this is something that we've discussed for years, like how this is going to it's, really happen. Yeah, it's, it's the future. It's, uh, it's something that's uh, inevitable. With, with the advancements in hardware and software, um, there's really 
yes, offline rendering can still do stuff that, that you cannot do in real time, but in many, many situations, um, you can totally do like a lot of your work in real time. It, it's, the experience is, is a lot different. And even though we've had interactive rendering for a long time and you can still preview your scene sort of in an active way, seeing it in real time is a totally different story. Yeah. Do you think that this is sort of going to open up the door to, to V-Ray or, or ray tracing to more than just visual effects post-production in some ways? We already see a lot of ray tracing effects in games, right? Right. Um, there are a lot of, um, and NVIDIA also did a lot of demos for uh, ray tracing games like, like Quake, Ray Traced Quake. Mm -hmm. um, and they look amazing. And uh, it's uh, probably the day that we'll see a purely path traced game are not too far into the future. Right. But that's just games. But do you th see yeah. other use cases? I mean, obviously, you mentioned virtual production, but do you see other use cases for it? VFX, actual VFX, now that's a little bit more tricky because it's not, you have things like hair and smoke and, and fire and, and you need proper motion blur and all that stuff, which is kind of not quite there for real time. Um, so I'm not sure how far that will move to real time, but at some point it probably will. I mean, we've seen a lot of advancements so far, so it's kind yes. of surprising how do you think. Yeah. Are, you, are, you, are you happy with the idea that suddenly ray tracing has become a common word that people use now? Yeah, yes, obviously. When we decided to, to do V-Ray way back when, there was a choice, like, do we do a pure ray tracer? Do we do, like, a rasterizer plus ray tracing? And we decided, well, it's just simpler to do ray tracing. Uh, and that turned out to be the right choice. And the same with Vantage. Uh, again, there was a choice. Do we do, like, pure ray tracing? Do we do, like, uh, rasterization with ray traced effects? And then we decided, well, that, that it's just much more simpler to ray trace everything. And this actually turned out to be very, very useful for, uh, for our um, virtual production experiments as well, because doing the, the camera projections is a lot easier with, with ray tracing. Oh, really? Yeah. Yep. Okay. You just changed which ways you need to trace that's all there is. <laughs> it's interesting. I, I mean, is it basically like a lens effect that you're doing? Um, it's more like, you know, how you have different types of cameras in view, like a perspective camera or a dome camera. Yes. Uh, so it's kind of similar to that. Right. Okay. So it's a special camera. Yeah. But technically, couldn't you do that same camera for, uh, let's say, two eyes that you put inside of a... Uh... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you can do that. Uh, yeah, you can do that. For, for VR as well. Yeah. Okay, that's really. So, and you're not rendering it twice; you're rendering it once. Yeah, you can you can do that with a single camera. Yes. That's awesome. Okay, well, that's making my mind think about things. Uh, <laughs> well, <clears throat> okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about. I mean, I, I had a talk obviously with Simiod about Vantage too. Um, what are some of your thoughts about all of these new features that we're adding in terms of that real-time ray tracing solution? Um, the goal is to, has always been to kind of get as close to what the full VRA can do, but do it in real time. We, we're really care, careful with adding features to Vantage because we do want to keep it real time. Mm -hmm. um, we do have VRA GPU, which is a very capable uh, GPU accelerated renderer, but it's not real time. Right. Um, but it can do 100 things. Mm -hmm. So for Vantage, we decided let's just stick to what is actually real-time. And obviously, as the hardware improves, more and more things become possible in real-time, and we'll be adding more and more of those. So with Vantage 2.0, for example, we added uh, volumetric scattering, which um, would have been way too slow a few years ago, but it's totally fine now. Yeah, I noticed that. And it's, it's something that I had wanted 
for a long yeah. time. So yeah. it's kind of exciting yeah. that we. So we have this that. will kind of continue. We'll keep adding uh, more and more production features to Vantage. Yeah. So you mentioned a little bit. I'm going to sort of jump around a little bit, but you were talking about AI in general. It's a subject that for the last six months I've been asking everyone because that's what people are thinking about. So obviously, you know, some of the same some of the same hardware that's getting really good at doing helping us with ray tracing is actually getting really good at machine learning and yep. things of that nature. Yep. Do you do you see us trying to take advantage of some of those features as well and trying to do things in that area? What are the things that are the you're most excited about in terms of some of these new AI features? There's a it's very like I didn't totally did not expect that. Like last year when things like Midjourney and Stable Diffusion and ChatGPT came out, it basically changed everything right. uh, that we've been doing so far. Um, and it, obviously there's an interesting question: uh, What if to generate an image you don't need a render? You can just type what kind of image you want, and it just comes up. Right. Uh, which is what Midjourney and, and Stable Diffusion are, are doing, and so on. So, and then the question is, uh, where does rendering fit into all that, and how can, um, what can we do to help our customers with these technologies? So, um, there are there are two things that we are looking at. Uh, one is using AI to accelerate rendering, which is traditionally what we've been mm-hmm. doing with our various renders and. Uh, if you like, we were at uh, this conference called EGSR uh, a couple of weeks ago, and basically every paper involved some kind of neural network in it, uh, which is not necessarily the most practical thing to do. But people are doing all kinds of experiments. Um, some of them work very well; others maybe require a little bit more polishing. But you can do a lot of interesting stuff in rendering itself with neural networks. But beyond that. Um, we were wondering how can these technologies help our customers in their workflow. So, and there are a number of, of interesting uh, approaches there. And uh, one of the things that we've been trying to do with the latest releases of V-Ray and Corona has been to allow our customers to build worlds in a more like easier way. Mm-hmm. That's why we added Cosmos with pre-made assets and material libraries. That's why we added Chaos Scatter. Um, that's why we um, acquired Axis mm-hmm. uh, recently, because we want to have our customer to help our customers not just with the rendering part, but with the building of the whole uh, world in which their project is. And this is where I think AI can also help. Right now, it can be very tedious to set up. A, even if you have the initial architecture model, it's a lot of work to set up everything around it. And that's maybe something that AI can can help um, our customers with. Um, what are your thoughts about, I mean, obviously just so many papers, it's so hard to keep track of all the stuff that happens. Like we were joking about whatever paper came out in the morning is obsolete by the afternoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> how is it, how, as a, as a developer, someone, especially in the innovation lab, how is it, how challenging is it to figure out that's something that's good to focus? That's going to have some, some importance for us. It's a little overwhelming, to be honest. Uh, we have this internal chat in the company where people can post interesting stuff related to AI that they've read. There is something new every day yeah. related to everything that you can think of, from visual effects to architecture um, to programming. And But what I think is it's impossible for anybody to keep like, on top of everything else. But if we know what we want to do in the end. And if we have a workflow that we want to implement with AI, then we can 
look at uh, papers and research that's relevant to that specific area. So what we ended up doing is defining these specific things that we want to do with the help of AI. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we just focus on those things. And then it becomes a little bit more manageable. Right. Um, so we know, for example, that yes, there are a lot of papers that uh, focus on uh, using AI for, for VFX, like for, for post-production, mm -hmm. which is great. Um, but to know as a background information, but it's probably not something that we'll be looking into today. Right. So we're focusing more on other, other, other things. What are some of the areas that are the most exciting to you? Um, world building. World building, you mentioned um, that. It's interesting for me because I myself cannot model very well, so I'm not really, uh, uh, like building a scene for me is very hard. Sure. And if you want to do a proper uh, landscape, for example, if you have an architectural project, you want to build a landscape around it, it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And if, if there's some way to make it easy for people like me, um, I think that's, that's going to be very useful. Yeah. What about some of the other things that are interesting to me? Like, for example, nerfs have been something I've been curious about. What are your thoughts about yeah. that? Nerfs are a special type of thing because they're, they're not so much AI. They're just a, right. a way to represent, uh, first, a way to represent 3D scenes in a new way. And second, a way to extract that 3D information from traditional videos or images. Um, and yes, there's a neural network involved, but it's not smart in the way that ChatGPT is smart, for example. Exactly. It's um, not generative. In that yeah, way. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it does open a number of very, very interesting applications um, in all kinds of areas. Uh, areas, virtual production as well. I mean, you can capture your uh, your environment and then you can put it in a, in a virtual stage. Um, but you can also maybe um at some point have editable nerfs so for example right now they're just captured but maybe in the future you'll be able to also change things in the nerve so that's going to be super cool one interesting application that i saw is um video stabilization if you have a very jittery camera um what previous approaches of trying to is basically um smooth out the motion purely in 2D. Mm -hmm. But with NERF, um, there was this paper where they generated on the fly a NERF from the, the camera path, and then they basically moved the camera to a new location to make it go on a smoother So curve. you're seeing things that don't exist. So you're seeing, and it was kind of, <laughs> it was kind of obvious in a few places, but it looked really, really good. Wow. Um, and it's something you cannot do with just 2D image manipulation. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I've always thought of it, you know, there's a lot of things that have been fascinated with nerfs. I didn't know there was a thing called nerfs. I used to think it's like, there's got to be a smarter way of doing light fields. <laughs> it yeah, seems yeah, like yeah. that's what it is. But it kind of made light fields obsolete, right? Because they're just a different, it's kind of a similar concept, but much more efficient uh, in their representation and rendering and everything. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was fascinated by that. So this is really cool. We're looking at some of those interesting things that are going on there. Now, obviously, as you know, uh, there's been also controversy around AI in certain areas. This, So uh, a lot of people are thinking about the efficacy of it, the, where we get the source data, et cetera. What is, as a developer, and you're thinking about you know, using machine learning, and you, the first thing you have to do with machine learning is get data to learn from. How is it, what is the responsibility as a developer to where we get our source data? It's a, it's a big question, um, and there are no really easy answers yet. Um, for us, because what we want to do doesn't really generate uh, an image or, or text directly, I think um, we're in a good spot. Because basically what we want to do with AI is, is just use the language model to understand what the user wants. 
we don't necessarily use generative AI to create a whole model or to uh, generate text and so on. This is something that normally um, we rely that users would be creative enough to do. But uh, we want to understand what they want and help them get there rather than just um, generate something for them. Do you feel that it's been uh, challenging for certain people to, to sort of, you know, create these AI systems? And, you know, obviously people have been concerns about it and they don't know how to deal with it in terms of yeah. as an artist. I think, I think the companies building these AIs were so fascinated with them and, and, and tried to move so quickly that they kind of didn't pay attention to where the data was coming from. Right. And I don't think they ever imagined that somebody could object to their data being included. Right. So... But now there are a lot of, because the thing is, if you have an artist with a certain style and then you have software that can reproduce that style, um, that hurts the artist, right? Sure. And um, I don't think they kind of thought about it from that angle. Um, and now that people are starting to pay attention to that and there are obviously a lot of lawsuits going on. So we'll see how that turns out. I don't know where it ends. Um, but... I think they were kind of not really expecting to deal with that issue or they thought it will just resolve itself somehow. <laughs> sure. But it didn't like that. There was this interview with um, uh, one of the uh, people who worked on Mid Journey, I think. And he said, well, I don't want to deal with all that copyright stuff, but you kind of have to, right? <laughs> it's, right. It's not, it's not like it's somebody else's problem. No, it's, it's, it's true. Um, and honestly, you know, having... Uh, spoken to many people about it, you hear so many different perspectives, uh, you know, especially it's like, well, I copy people's art all the time with for AI because that's how I learned how to do art. <laughs> that's true, but it's, it's a little different when people do it versus, because people are people. Like, yes, I, I get the experience uh, and I learn from other people, but mm -hmm. then it kind of stays contained. Sure. Um, whereas with uh, with uh, something like Mid Journey, once it learns something, then it, everybody can use it. It's like you duplicate it like a hundred times. Right. It's like every with people, every person has to learn to draw in a certain way sure. if you want to do that. With with uh, with AI, once a single instance of that AI learns something, then it can be massively scaled up. Right. Yeah. That's a that's an excellent point. Now. Uh, since obviously, you know, you, can't you don't necessarily compare yourself to an artist, but you are a developer and AI is also being used to generate code. Yes. So what are your feelings about that? <laughs> um, it can definitely be helpful. And I think we even ended up using it on a few occasions. Basically, if you type your instruction, like if you have to parse a new file format and you it's a lot of boilerplate code. So right. if there's a way to automate that, um, it's nice. Uh, but at the same time, in my own experiments, um, because I'm always trying to do something that doesn't exist or has not been solved before, it just got me nowhere. So to me, it wasn't really that helpful. But for tasks that people routinely have to do like a hundred times or uh, a thousand different people had to do over and over again, then it's very good for that. Right. Well, that makes, that makes sense. It's interesting because AI is based on learning things that have already been done. So when you do yeah. things that have never yeah. been done, it's yeah. harder for it to solve well, those problems. for now. I'm sure <laughs> we'll get to a point where that's also solved to some right. extent. But right now that's the case. Um, 
there's also a concern there that um, it might give you like snippets of code that somebody else wrote. Mm -hmm. So that's that's a concern for us as a company. So we are very careful about how we use these tools in our day-to-day -day work. Uh, and then there's a question, well, if, if AI generates code, like who owns that code? Uh, right. And we kind of don't want to get into that discussion just yet. So we're using AI mostly for experimenting and for, uh, and for some um, new tools that we use internally, but not really yet for uh, production code that goes into a product. But hasn't, wasn't GitHub, didn't they have Copilot? They've had it for a long time, right? They've, they've had it for a while. Um, I haven't used it myself, to be honest. I know a few people in the company who, who have, and I've also seen it work in videos. Mm -hmm. And um, from what I saw, if you, have, if you start from scratch working on something and you need a quick uh, solution, it's great. But with a huge code base where you need to know what's actually going on in the code, it's a lot more difficult um, to use it. Okay. Because it doesn't really understand how the whole system works. Right. And what obviously, you know, as you know, certain companies have banned their developers from using AI tools because they're concerned that their own code could leak into the AI. It's, uh, well, uh, out of all the concerns, this is the least concern that I have because code can leak in so many other ways that through AI is probably not that important anyway. Right. Um, but uh, the concern is probably uh, on, on my end more around this IP ownership, like who owns the code afterwards if AI generated it and what right. can you do with that code. Right. Um, the fact that it might leak um, might happen in so many other different ways. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. What about, um, uh, what about when you're evaluating a developer? <laughs> do you now evaluate the developer uh, based on the fact that they're, um, you know, do, do you know, did they trust that they wrote that code or did they get the code? Right? Yeah, so we, we discussed this and initially I did have this concern, but um, we've been doing a lot of interviews lately for people with a machine learning background. And to be honest, I haven't noticed people trying to cheat that way, if you want to call it cheating. And um, I don't know, it's not the problem yet. And to be honest, if I get the solution that, that works, I don't think I care too much if AI helped with that solution, uh, so long as the person can understand what's going on and it's the correct solution. And so I think that's, that's fine. So, so do, you, do you think that's gonna change the way developers think about programming in some way? Yes, probably. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's all very exciting stuff, uh, but uh, all right, well, let's talk a little bit about, uh, obviously we've moved into a new office. We're, we're, we're in a bigger space now. Uh, how, what's it like now working with a much bigger team and uh, a lot of different parts of the company? It's not just, you know, V-Ray and Phoenix and stuff like that. It's been a challenge. There's, a, there's no way around it. Um, basically, it's like three different companies coming together. Um, well, four now. <laughs> four now, yes. So that's that. That's a challenge. And um, it took a while to get things to the right places uh, and figure out who's responsible for what. Um, it has not been an easy process, um, but I think we're kind of mostly over that now and things can move forward much faster from now. Yeah, I think people are traveling a lot more now too and that's helping. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
COVID was a difficult time for everybody, I guess. Um, and suddenly my, my calendar was filled with all these sync meetings, which before that were just literally a couple of seconds going to a person's desk and asking them a question. Suddenly it turns into a half an hour meeting now <laughs> so, during COVID. So that's kind of was an unexpected effect. But on the plus side, we learned to work remotely and things didn't fall apart. So that's, that's, good. Uh, that, that's good. And uh, I must admit that I, before COVID, I did have concerns about allowing people to, to work from home more. Um, now I'm totally fine with it. Have you seen good results from people that way? Or is it because they have more flexibility to work on their own time or? Um, it's been about the same, to be honest. I haven't noticed any specific like drop or increase of, of performance. Like people who work well in the office also work well at home. Right. What's it been like to, to get back in the wild and go to conferences and give talks again? It's been, it's been well, I don't really enjoy the giving talks <laughs> part that much, but it's been, it's been great uh, just meeting people. And it's always very, very different meeting a person face-to-face -face than um, online. And, and so one thing that I noticed that during COVID, most conferences went virtual and some were even free so you could just watch all the, the talks and um, everything and you get it for free but i found out that when you're remote it, there's just not much incentive to actually sit and, and and watch those talks whereas if you go there in person there's nothing else for you to do so <laughs> you do it and to me it's more valuable to be in in person at a, at a conference rather than trying to follow it online yeah, it was interesting during some of the online events. Some of the, the attendance was huge because it was free and all over the world and you didn't have to travel to get there, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. But um, I've registered for a number of these conferences and then didn't end up watching any, anything. Right, 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 right. Uh, I agree. I've, I've done some of that too. But some of them have been more successful than others. Yeah. But I also yeah. think that especially during COVID, people were paying attention because they were just so eager to pretend that they're amongst people. <laughs> yeah, that, that was that. Um, that was that a little bit, yeah. That's good. Okay. Well, uh, SIGGRAPH is coming up. Uh, this may come out around SIGGRAPH time. What are you excited about at SIGGRAPH? Um, meeting people, as usual. Yeah. Uh, I think that the long list of <laughs> meetings is already starting to shape up. Sure. But also, SIGGRAPH is the biggest conference for computer graphics. There's always something interesting uh, going on. And last year um, in Vancouver, I'm, I'm very glad that I went because you always go back with a number of bunch of ideas you want to try and a bunch of new things that you learn. Yeah. So that's that's always the exciting part. What happened last year that got you excited that you did this year? Um, it's a little. I guess I mostly enjoy the production talks when where people from different companies explain some part of their working process. That's always super interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So, but you're going a little bit more focused now, right? You you know used to go in with the you know as a more overall one of the heads of the company, and you said have to do business meetings, yes. et cetera, et cetera. Yes. So yes. now you can focus on. Different ideas, right? To some extent, we still have the, the customer meetings, so sure. that's not going away. Um, but yeah, I do have more time to um, go to the actual conference and uh, listen, like see old talks and stuff. Yeah, like this has to be what your your tenth, twentieth SIGGRAPH. <laughs> the first SIGGRAPH that I went to was, I believe, in two thousand and one. And you went to every single one since then. Yes. <laughs> The yeah. ones that were not virtual. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that's cool. That's cool. Um, 
Okay, well, tell us a little bit about the people that you're working with in labs. Obviously, I'm part of labs. I've been excited to be part of it, but who are some of the other people that are doing some interesting things? Um, well, there's uh, my small team of developers uh, that we're doing all kinds of crazy things with, and I'm specifically very happy that we can uh, focus on projects that are not that much related to V-Ray anymore. I still love V-Ray, but, sure. but uh, there's stuff going on in the world outside of it. So we do stuff with Vantage now, uh, which is super cool. We do stuff with AI, I'm trying to get my developers to learn things like PyTorch and how neural networks work. Uh, so that has been great. Um, and uh, we also have uh, my assistant, Diana. She's been awesome. Uh, mm -hmm. a lot of the projects that we're doing lately just would not happen otherwise. Um, you need somebody to, because I'm, I'm a basically a procrastinator. <laughs> I can admit that. Uh, I, it's very hard for me to, even if I know that I have to do something, it's very hard for me to sit down and dedicate time for it. So she's, she's very good at keeping me uh, Making sure with, you do that. Yeah. yeah, with everything that's going on. And then we have things like the Renderthon, which is our internal hackathon that we've been doing for a while now, originally with uh, our team, Corona team in Prague, but now with the entire company. And that takes a lot of effort to organize, especially now because it's going to be a, a lot more people. Um, so Diana has been great in, in helping with uh, all that stuff. Right, right. We also have uh, a new person in the company named Cam, who I'm hoping to get uh, on the podcast as well. Uh, tell us a little bit about him and, and what his role is going to be and how you think he's going to shape some of the changes that were going on. Yeah, so when all the companies came together, we kind of started thinking about how the products will evolve. Mm -hmm. And we have so many different products now. And it was kind of a little difficult for us to figure out the common direction uh, in which we want to go. And at some point, we realized that we might need somebody with a fresh perspective on things to take a look at everything and, and say what's going on. And at the same time, all this AI stuff was happening, and, and none of us were really prepared for it. Um, I fully admit, I, I've, not, I've not studied machine learning at all at university. I mean, I knew how neural networks generally work, mm -hmm. but um, haven't really spent a whole lot of time on this. So we started looking for somebody who can uh, kind of move us uh, a little bit into the, the future, even though the future is now. Mm -hmm. And that's how we came across Cam, um, who has some experience with, uh, with AI. He has some previous experience with, with rendering. And um, we liked him, so um, we decided that uh, we could work together. And, of course, as a new person cam had a lot to learn about what the different products are what the differences are how they all fit together so that that took a while as well and it's still ongoing but what was incredibly helpful at least for me is that he has this kind of outside perspective and sometimes you need somebody to look at things with fresh eyes and uh, give you a new direction and cam managed to to do that that's really that's really exciting so, so with that in mind, uh, you know, the idea of where we're going to go, where, where do you think, where do you see this happening in five years? I mean, obviously, I think we got derailed by AI a little bit. We didn't know. But now that you kind of know that that's going to happen, what do you think is going to happen in the next five years or so? It's really difficult to figure because there's this like kind of an explosion of stuff going right. on related to, to AI, all kinds of crazy ideas. But what I really think is that 
making stuff in, in 3D will get a lot easier in the future. The way that we've been used to doing it with like clicking with your mouse and drawing curves and extruding them or whatever, building models, that's maybe not going to go away completely, but a lot of it will be uh, automated. Um, the same for, for animation, thing, uh, things that used to take a lot of time uh, setting up keyframes uh, and so on. That will probably, a lot of it will probably be, be automated. Do you think it's going to be hard to find people who do that well? Do you think people are going to be trained with AI, like, you know, prompt jockeys or things of like that nature that people talk about? Um, people who... No, the basics will always be needed, but maybe, unfortunately, not to such a great extent. And, and we've seen the same thing with programming, right? Whenever compilers came, uh, people who could write assembly code were uh, not really needed anymore. It's still a valuable skill to have today because it helps with so many things, but, uh, but you don't really write an assembly anymore. So that's kind of the same thing that's going to happen with, uh, with 3D in general. Uh, people will know how how you can model, for example, um, but maybe that's not something that they will be doing every day. Okay. Well, that's exciting. Well, listen, Vlado, you've always answered, you're always very efficient at answering all my questions, so okay. it's going to be a short podcast. Yeah. But I really appreciate you being on, and you know, it's been exciting to be in Sofia. Uh, I will see you at SIGGRAPH in yep. a few weeks, uh, and uh, we've got some exciting projects that we're going to be working on. Uh, that uh, we will be showcasing, as you can see behind us, is what we're sort of testing, uh, doing, working closely with our good friend Rado here uh, on this project. So I'm very excited about that. So we'll look forward to following up on all that. Yep. Thanks so much for doing this. No problem. Thank you. <laughs>